Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to realestateinvestingmastery.com. We have another great, exciting interview and episode up for you guys. And uh, Alex, I'm with Alex Youngblood. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Great. You know, every time it seems like we do an episode, uh, something exciting and strange ha is happening to you. <laughs> like we last one of the last ones we did, uh, there was an earth, uh, a tornado, and you were on an airplane on, on the airport. Um, yeah, and a tornado came through, and and what just happened about like five minutes ago? We had a five point nine earthquake just hit the area. It's crazy in Virginia, right? Yeah. Okay, so apparently what... it's felt all the way up and down the East Coast. Wow. Okay, so what happened? Where were you, and what did it feel like? Well, I was sitting in my trusty chair, and I was looking at my computer screen, <laughs> <laughs> and I just felt, you know, a little shaking, and I was like, okay, maybe there's a big truck going by, you know, down the road or something like that, and wow, maybe it's five trucks going down the road. Wow. Well, maybe it's 10 trucks. Wow, this thing isn't stopping. <laughs> wow. You know, so I got up and my uh, niece was across. She's watching the uh, kids and she was across the other side of the house. And she goes, what's going on? I'm like, no, it's not me jumping up and down. She thought I was like <laughs> practicing my Muay Thai kickboxing yeah. or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's not me. And I, sure enough, the house was shaking. Things were moving back and forth. It was pretty, pretty weird. So, um, how long did it last? Uh, I guess apparently 30 to 45 seconds. Wow. And yeah, I, I, you've yet to see any damage happen or anything like that, but uh, wow. Very, had, very, very odd. Do you know of any earthquakes that have happened there in the past? I've seen people say something like we just had a small earthquake or something like that, um, like back in maybe March of 2010, uh, as I've been trying to Google this now. You know, some of the sites are so backed up right now with traffic, they can't even handle all of them. But, wow. um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, for me, it's a first. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad you're all right. I appreciate that. Uh, I used to live in California and uh, felt quite a few earthquakes out there. And uh, Oh, okay. It sounds scarier than it really is. But um, there there's times when uh, I'd never felt one as strong as this, but I was talking to somebody recently. He uh, remembers when he was a kid living in Southern California, the earthquake knocked him to the ground and he was um, on a street um, in his neighborhood and he was on the ground and he looked sideways down the street. It was an asphalt paved street and he could see this, the street buckling up and down like a wave. It's one of the most bizarre things he said he's ever seen. And uh, it's just amazing the power of uh, power of earthquakes. But anyway, that's not no, why. It's, it's insane. It's, um, I mean, anytime something's out of your control, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of freaked out by it. And, and I think that's true with anything, you know, it's like if, if there was a tornado blowing by and you're sitting in an airplane, you're like, wow, I really can't run too far, can I? <laughs> or, you know, you're sitting in your house and your whole house is shaking. And if it was really bad enough, and let's say you got, you know, cracks going up and down your wall and this, you know, the floor splitting and stuff like that, you know, stuff out of your control is pretty freaky. But thank God that was not the issue today. <laughs> well, you know, they say that um, being in a, a stick frame house is one of the safest places to be. Really? Wood framed houses, yes, because they're flexible and they can move around. Okay. And, um, but anyway, hey, we um, 
I want to tell everybody again, guys, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com right now. And if you haven't already, check out our free bonuses that we have on that site. We have about five different videos, probably about four or five hours worth of free awesomeness. Uh, we have videos on how we do our business, how we wholesale houses, how we do our marketing, how we get virtual assistance. We basically give you an entire blueprint peel back the curtain and show you what we do and really don't hold anything back. And um, so check it out. Go free. to yes, it is free. Awesomeness is no. a lot better than paid awesomeness. Right. And, and, there's, <laughs> and there's no strings attached, but go to realestateinvestingmastery.com and check that out. And also want to thank people too, for leaving uh, comments and reviews and iTunes. Um, it really helps our uh, search results our rankings, and we're already climbing up uh, pretty fast. When we first started this, uh, when we first started broadcasting a couple weeks ago, um, excuse me, we were on like the second or third page under real estate investing, and um, and now we're featured in the new and noteworthy under the business section of uh, iTunes, and um, we are number four now uh, in the real estate investing podcast uh, uh, world, whatever you want to call it. So we're real honored, and we appreciate that. Please, if you like this show, uh, leave us some comments and leave us a, leave us some reviews. If you don't like the show, well, then don't leave us any comments. <laughs> we don't want any bad ones. Just give us good ones. No, I'm just kidding. Do whatever you want. But um, we have a special guest on the phone with us today. Uh, I've known Nate for a couple, three years now through Life and Air. Um, I first started hearing about Nate... Uh, by the way, his last name is, oh, I don't know yet. That's what he says. <laughs> he, he doesn't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, Nate, do you want to take a stab at it? No, uh, it's Nate Andre. Andre, okay. Yeah. He just gets tired of people asking him that question all the time. <laughs> and uh, uh, he gets tired of, of, he just says whatever you want. But Nate lives well, in Wisconsin. I would, say, I would say I've been called worse, man, so it's all good. Good. <laughs> Well, let me give you a little background of what I know about Nate. Um, I first heard about him from the uh, FlippingHomes.com forum. It's a very active real estate uh, forum, and if you've never heard of it, go check it out. Real estate, or, I'm sorry, FlippingHomes.com. They have a very active, very good uh, forum on there. And uh, Nate was um, one of the first to get involved with the same coaching program that I am involved with it's called Life and Air. Um, but Nate is one of the... Uh, one of the special ones who is in the flip vips group and uh, these guys are some of the most successful investors in the country um, and they get together a few times a year and uh, I got to hang out with them a little bit while they were in St. Louis uh, a week ago and honestly Nate I don't remember laughing as hard as I did that night. <laughs> that was a great night Joe. That was so much fun I just got to uh, hang out with you guys for a little bit and uh, after you ate dinner and um, I, my cheeks were hurting. I was laughing so hard, and I had tears coming down my face. And um, we had so much fun that night. It was just great. It's great camaraderie with those people. Um, you know, we talk real estate all day, and then we just kind of unwind and talk about family and and kids and stories, and just to have a real good time and unwind. So I was glad you got to be a part of that that evening. <laughs> A lot of fun. But Nate has been uh, successfully investing 
and real estate. And he's got some pretty cool things he's going to talk about and what he does in Wisconsin. Uh, Nate lives in Appleton, Wisconsin. And uh, a small little town, but he's making big money, uh, big profits on the deals that he's doing, which goes, I love it because it goes to prove that you don't need to be in a huge market. You don't have to have um, a ton of, uh, you know, landlords and, and absentee owners in your market to do deals. Um, you can do deals even if you live in a small town. Um, now, he's real close to Green Bay, but I think, Nate, you do most of your stuff in the uh, Appleton area. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, you know, that's our bread and butter, certainly. Um, uh, right now, we're buying in four counties, um, but certainly... Appleton, also known as Fox Cities, if you will, because there's many cities, many smaller cities, um, like five to ten thousand people per city okay. um, that surround that surround Appleton. Um, so most of the stuff that we do, we try to do uh, in those communities that surround Appleton and in Appleton. But we are, you know, we are also buying in different counties um, that are fairly close to us. But certainly that area, Appleton, Fox Valley, is our bread and butter. Good. And we won't hold it against you, Nate, but you are a Milwaukee Brewers fan, and they are kind of doing pretty well right now. <laughs> but and uh, yeah, they're they are nine yeah, they games. Are, uh, they're nine games ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals. But we won't hold that against yeah, you. It, all that considered, Joe, I still like you. Okay, well, <laughs> when you were in St. Louis, you got to go to a Cards and Milwaukee game, didn't you? I did. That was that was awesome. Uh, it was great. Um, got dropped off at Patios, which is a bar uh, right next to the stadium, and um, great people, enthusiastic people. You know, live and die uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals, um, and it, the night made it even sweeter because the Brewers did win five to one, and, and so uh, and, it was great. And you were still treated with respect, right? Well, I got some booze and sit down and maybe some other things, but again, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that's to be expected when you walk in any enemy territory and you're dressed in head to toe from you know yellow and blue. Yeah, so that's gonna happen. That was funny. Okay, well, um, let's get started here, and I wanted to take us back, if you could, Nate, to. What were you doing pre-real estate days, and how'd you how'd you get interested in real estate investing? Well, I don't know how far back you want me to go, so I'll try and make it brief because I know we got to try and cover quite a bit of information in the, in the podcast today. Yeah. But um, how it really started was um, I ended up buying this book. I've always had the itch to to do real estate. I ended up buying this book called um, Deals on Wheels, which is Lonnie Scrubs, which is mobile home investing. Yeah. And, oh, that guy's from my market. He's uh, yeah. he's our local. Um, uh, he's a, he's the he's the main guy in the local area here that a lot of people look up to. Yeah, he's he's an older gentleman, um, but extremely wise and extremely knowledgeable in the mobile home business. And what I figured was that you know what, I was working full time. I had some money in my IRA, and I thought you know let me take some money out of my IRA if I if I go down a ball of flames it's I think I took out. I think I took out thirty nine hundred bucks, and I figured you know, if I could do that, if I if I fall on my face, big deal. I can recover. If I if I do well, then we'll see where it leads to. At least it wasn't a hundred thousand dollar mortgage that I was going to go out and get on my first foot. Right. So um, I decided to do that, and I got 
pretty good at it. I just followed his book to a T. Um, and I didn't deviate whatever the book told me to do, I did. And um, started started doing some Lonnie deals and then started selling uh, some of the notes that I had created and then taking that money and reinvesting in normal homes and was really having a good time with it and then felt comfortable enough to do actual real estate. And um, that was in 05. Um, and then I started doing real estate, um, started rehabbing. Uh, the first two rehabs did not go well at all. I still have them today. They're called the rentals, which sucks. Uh, <laughs> who were you selling so those I, notes to, by the way? Back, I mean, did, who were you selling those notes to that you were creating? Uh, private, private individuals. Oh, okay. Um, and what, and what year was this? Yeah, what uh, year? Um, that would have been in 05. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, so I was just selling uh, partials. So I would have a, a note for 36 months, and I'd sell them 12 months, you know, at a, at a nice discount. I'd get the cash, and then they would get the spread and the yield, and then if they were happy after a, after a year, then we'd do it again. Um, so it was, a, it was a nice way to, to, to keep getting cash uh, coming back into my pocket, and then I could dump it into a different house and kind of do it the same thing. Um, so it worked out well, and then, like I said, I did the, mo- the mobile home tour, and I did a couple of rehabs, and then uh, when it really clicked was I got fired from my full-time job uh, October 2006, um, which I knew was kind of, I was just putting too much time in real estate and not enough job in my, not enough job, time in my job. Um, so that day finally came, it was amicable, et cetera, et cetera, and then... I went full time. The first those first six months were really bad um, for me. The rental income that I had from my portfolio was okay, but that's all I had. Plus, we had the holidays and blah blah blah. But in March of '07, when I bought uh, Steve Cook's wholesaling for quick cash, yeah. um, that's when it clicked. And um, you know, we we wholesaled for that month, and from that course, that you know, I just uh, I just took it to a T from what he was saying in the book. That's exactly what I did. And um, so, in March of '07 is when it started really flourishing from us, and from that point on, we haven't looked back. We've been full time. So now, Nate, you just said a couple things that were so important, and I hope people got it. <clears throat> you took these courses, and you just did what they said to do, and you right. saw some success with it. <laughs> I mean, what a what concept! Concept. <laughs> what a concept! I know, right? You know, you know, what's so interesting is because now that I teach. Um, locally here, <laughs> it's kind of the same principle, guys. I mean, where the students say, should I do this? No. Okay, I won't do that. And then, should I do this? Yes, do that. And they do that. And then they have success. And I, I, I'm i no hero. Nobody on this call is a hero. But we have done enough deals where if you do listen and if you do it the right way, then you can reap the rewards. And when you know, for those that deviate, go their own way, um, have their own mindset, you know, those people can struggle at times. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when I got those courses, it was, well, they must have written the course for a reason, and the course content is fantastic. So why would I not follow it? And that's what I just did. Yeah, and you also the other key thing I think was you focused on one strategy, and you implemented that. You didn't get distracted with you know twenty other things, and. Well, Go ahead. Well, listen, I, I mean, that is a great point. I mean, I remember, you know, in 05, 
am I going to be a landlord? I want to be a landlord. I want to be a short sailor. I want to be a wholesaler. I want to be a rehabber. I want to be dealing with for sale by owners. I mean, I want to do it all because I just want to crush everything. And then all I did was spin my wheels and, and made nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So when I concentrated on wholesaling, I got really good at it. Uh, that is, that was my love. I love doing it. I still love doing it today, but I got really good at something and made money uh, doing that and learning that craft. And then obviously now today we're doing rehabbing and complimentary wholesaling. Um, I, you know, I don't do short sales. Uh, I do, I just do not do uh, landlording. I do have rentals, but I'm not uh, buying uh, properties to, uh, to rent out. Um, so we, we certainly have some things that we know that we're capable of doing really good at and the other stuff while we might be able to pursue it. Um, we just don't because it's going to take up too much time and resources um, to go down that path. And a lot Nate, of people do that. I'm sorry, Alex, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people do that. They, you know, you get a, see all these different opportunities and ways of making money, and you, you kind of you, you try to chase each and every one of them, and you end up uh, making nothing. And that's, but but I think there's kind of a, a balance there because, like for instance, let's say uh, in my business I do strictly wholesaling, but for me to take on like what Joe does with wholesaling lease options. Is that something where, you know, I'd be spinning my wheels if I'm trying to get into that as well as doing what I'm doing? Or is that something that complements the, uh, sure. my wholesaling business, you know? So I think you have to, there, I think there's a, a there's a balance there. Um, and, and being a transactional engineer, there's ro- yeah. nothing wrong with doing that. But, um, I see what you're saying. You get caught up in all this other stuff and, you know, before you know it, you're just running all different directions and not going anywhere. Yeah, and that and all that really leads to is frustration. Um, you know, lots of um, curriculum on the shelf, and then the belief that this business doesn't work when actually it, it certainly does work, as we all know. Right. You know, Nate. Um, a couple things I wanted to ask you. You mentioned getting fired from your job. I can kind of relate. I was not fired, but I mean, like, I quit the same day they were going to fire me. And uh, so they... You were fired, man. No, I was going to quit the same day. I already had another job <laughs> lined up. But the reason was is because I was spending too much time in real estate. And I had I always had this tremendous amount of guilt uh, on me because, you know, I was getting good performance reviews. It's getting my job mm-hmm. done, but I was never giving 100% to my employer. And I always felt tremendously guilty. And I know there's a lot of people listening to this who want to get into real estate they have full-time jobs, though, and they're struggling with balancing that. What kind of advice can you give to people who are working full-time, want to do real estate investing? Well, I think we all just talked about it, and that is just concentrate on one thing. Yeah. Um, when, when I was working full-time and I was doing real estate, I was doing mobile homes, I was doing rehabs, and then I was also, um, I had also bought an uh, upper-lower duplex. And I was very, very busy, not only with my full-time job, working 50-plus hours on salary, which we can all relate to is, you know, not very well uh, paid, but high hours. Um, And then couple that with family life, um, you know, where does that leave the time? The time that I always spent was when everybody was asleep. So I would, you know, from 10 o'clock to 1, I was doing work, you know, for real estate, and then I'd get up at or and have to get into my full-time job and it wow. just got very very it just got very tiring 
Um, so my the best advice I would say um, would be to kind of find something that you really enjoy. If that's short sales, great. If it's wholesaling, great. If it's rehabbing, wholesaling these options, whatever the case may be, just find that one thing that you want to do. And typically, if you're just starting out, typically you want to generate income. You want to generate cash. Yeah. Uh, and wholesaling is you know is a great place to start for that. I was going to say that. Wouldn't you agree, Alex? Wholesaling is probably the best thing that people should focus on if we we're going to pick a strategy. Don't you think well, wholesaling? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's something that anybody can jump right into because the concept is simple. You find something for five cents and sell it for ten cents. <laughs> it's <laughs> right. You know, that's it's just a basic concept, and you don't even have to own whatever it is that you're selling. It's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time. And if you are getting into the business and getting into investing, you should be talking to as many people as you possibly can. You should be uh, going to as many re RIA groups as Real you possibly meetings. can. Yep. And you'll eventually run into something, uh, you know, to a deal um, that you could potentially flip. And, and the key with that is, see, a lot of people, I like to call it the circle of crap. See, people people get deals, right? And everybody else knows about them, and they just float them around in the circle of crap. Everybody just floats the same deal around person to person. Yep, I've seen that deal. Yeah, I've seen that deal. Yeah, I've seen that deal. The key is to break that circle of crap is by going outside the circle and mm. doing some marketing and finding your own buyers that you can bring into it to make yeah. it work. Uh, do, do, can you relate to that, Nate? Do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. I, I agree 100% with what you're saying, Alex. I mean, the, I mean, the key is to get out of that because that's going to make you very annoying to people very, very fast. Oh, Alex, I just got this great deal for you. Oh, you, you, you probably haven't even seen it yet, and I just got it. It's hot off the press, and it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen five of the people trying to pitch me that, you know? Wow. So, right. so, the, so the key is if you're going to play that game, there's nothing wrong with it. You just got to make sure that you get buyers outside of that circle. Well, we can talk about um, – well, I think it would be good if we talked about, Nate, how you find your buyers. But I think you have a little different strategy, little niche on wholesaling that has made you a lot of money. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I'm a little wacky in that regard, Joe. Um, <laughs> oh, this is you know, brilliant. I, this is brilliant, guys. Listen. Well, you know, in, in, when I was reading the course from from – from Steve about wholesaling it was all towards investors, which I get. You're, you know, the the logic is, like Alex said, you find something for fifty grand, you sell it for sixty grand to an investor, and the investor makes thirty on the back end for a flip. Great. That's kind of how the book was was telling me to do it. But what I found by a stroke of dumb luck was I found a property, put it under contract. Um, this was an MLS REO property. I think it was a Fannie Mae. I put an ad in the paper, and there was an upper-lower duplex, and the owner-occupant was the only one that made an offer on it because they want to live in the lower and then rent the upper. And I just thought about that, and I was like, wow, so no investors thought this was a deal, but the owner-occupant saw that it was a great deal for them. So then I just started shifting my focus towards owner-occupants instead of investors because, um, number one, they always gave me my price. Hmm. Um Number two, um, I didn't have to haggle with the investor. The investors are always nosy. I know because I am one. 
Um, <laughs> they want to know what you paid for it. They want to know how you got it. They want to just basically pick your brain about the deal. All your occupants don't really care. They're just there to buy the house if they like it or if they don't. Um, and getting the financing was uh, easier for the owner-occupants than investors. Um, mm. So what I found was is that why not buy properties, um, continue to buy the junkers so I can rehab those, but um, buy the properties that I could easily um, pitch to an owner-occupant saying, listen, it needs cosmetics, it needs flooring, it needs paint, it probably needs you know some kitchen cabinets, but it's got good guts. So it's got a good basement, it's got good mechanicals, the electrical's upgraded, the roof is solid, the garage is nice, you got great bones, but it needs cosmetics. So that's what I started looking for along with the junkers. The junkers were my rehabbing business, but my wholesaling business was going to be predicated around owner-occupants. I got a lot of hell for that because that's not what I was taught to do and that's not what people were doing. And so they thought that I was just kind of loopy and a little crazy, but I just found a niche that really worked for me, and that was wholesaling owner-occupants um, so much that I loved it that we I did that call with with Cook. Um, yep. That's two hours. That's two hours long that I was telling Alex about earlier. Um, that just goes in detail about what exactly um, I did from A to Z, and there's a little bit more that that goes into it. Um, but I what I what I also enjoyed about it was. I enjoy talking to owner-occupants a lot more than I t- enjoy talking to investors. Hmm. Um, I wasn't going to get the residual business. Like, if you got an investor that wants to buy 10 houses the next year, um, that's not the case for the owner-occupants. But I did start getting referrals um, from people that had bought from me that their friends were calling me saying, listen, you gave you know, Adam and Susie a great deal. We want a great deal like that. This is what we're looking for. Go find this one. Um, so I did get some of those referrals, um, but I just enjoyed the process a lot better than um, wholesaling to uh, investors. And so do I still wholesale to investors? Sure. Um, but most of the time, I would much rather wholesale to an owner-occupant just because they're going to give me more money. Um, they're not going to haggle with me. Um, and I like talking with them more than investors. It's more of a personal relationship. Um, I care about, you know, their well-being. I, I, I'm very adamant that this is a house that needs work. You understand the risk. You understand the reward, which is your equity that you're going to keep. Um, and that's just kind of the niche that I fell into. Now, can you run, Nate, through an example deal of what you're talking about, wholesaling the property to uh, an owner-occupant? Like, what do you get it under contract for? What do you buy it for? And what do you sell it for on average? Okay. Well, I'll just give you one quick one. Um, it wasn't a smoking killer wholesale deal, but this was a, a hot property. Um, this was, um, I'm trying to think, I'm just looking at my schedule. I think it was last month, guys. Yeah. Um, where I bought a HUD property, got it under contract. Um, I sent out one email to a realtor that I knew that was working that area pretty heavily. He knew about the house, he'd been in the house, he had a buyer. Um, the house was at 85 and then went to 72 and then I got a, my offer accepted at 38 and then I sent this realtor an email saying, listen, I'll pay you a thousand bucks flat for commission if you get a buyer, but I'll sell it for 49 and I sent that email out. That was it. It was under contract. Uh, I never even saw the house. Um, wow. 
uh, I saw pictures, but um, I sent some of my students in there because they look closer, um, so they could go in there and kind of give me an idea. But um, so we made like nine or ten grand on it. But um, that was an extremely good deal for the owner occupant. Need the cosmetics only. Um, is in a really nice area in town. Uh, it was a no-brainer. Um, they got financing to a local uh, bank or credit union, I believe. And the seasoning of title wasn't an issue, meaning I didn't have to own it for two days or ten days or nine months or whatever. Um, I talked to the lender beforehand and said, listen, I'm an investor. I'm here to make money. Um, your, your borrower is getting a great deal. As a matter of fact, that bank called me and said, hey, Nate, uh, we're doing the financing for Josh, but we want to know why you want to buy and sell it on the same day. I said, because I want to make as much money as possible. <laughs> and, and Which is true, because I didn't want to hold on to it for taxes and insurance and utilities and blah, blah, blah. And, and the bank was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. We're fine with that. We just wanted to know why there was such a rush. Nice. So I was just very upfront with them. Uh, I think they appreciated that. I'm always upfront with the deal because that's the last thing that I want to have happen is the day before closing and I get my payday and then something comes up and it's something that I could have addressed, you know, two, three weeks ago. Um, so I'm very upfront with that. Transi the transaction went really good. I made nine or 10 grand. I, you know, I'd never saw the house or anything like that. Kind of like what Alex is doing with his virtual stuff. Um, but that's kind of a, a typical um, wholesale to owner occupant. Um, we've certainly made bigger spreads than that. We've certainly made less spreads than that, but um, that's that's a recent deal that we, we did, which was a month ago, and that was involving, you know, the HUD government-owned house. Now, Nate, what could you have sold? You you bought it for thirty-eight, and you sold it for forty-nine to an owner-occupant. What do you think yep. you could have sold that to, for to an investor? Um. Oh boy. You know, I think maybe five grand more. Okay. You know, personally, I, I think an investor probably needed to buy it where I bought it um, in order for me to wholesale it. Uh, you know, in order for that investor to be safe with his numbers, um, maybe I could have scratched five out of it. I, I don't. The investor would have got an okay deal. It wouldn't have been a screaming deal. I knew when I bought it, I wasn't going to wholesale to an investor. I knew for a fact that if I got it for thirty-eight. You know, that I was not, my target audience was not going to be an investor. I just knew that. Um, so either I was going to wholesale to an owner-occupant for my price, or I was going to take it down, rehab it, and sell it. And, um, you know, it just so happened that we got a deal out of the owner-occupant. Very good. Now, how do you, you know, how do you set that how do you set that deal up? Um, are you just making offers? Are you making blind offers? Are you actually going out to these properties and looking at them and then making offers, or what are you doing? Most of them are blind acts. Um, a lot of the houses that I buy, well, I'd say 95% are off the MLS. So typically the houses that are listed on the MLS have pictures, um, kind of give an idea about the property. Um, lots of real estate agents put in there, bad foundation or, you know, needs work up and down. Um, so I kind of get a feel. I, usually I can already already know that it's going to, based on the square footage, how much it's going to cost me for paint, how much it's going to cost me for uh, vinyl or laminate and carpet and new light fixtures. And so all that stuff I can kind of get an idea based on the square footage of the property, how much I'm going to be putting on just in like the cosmetic type stuff. Um, obviously the unknowns are the roof and the foundation and, you know, the mechanicals. 
Um, but I take that into account. I mean, my offers are pretty low. All I'm looking for is motivation um, right. from the seller. So I'll just make blind offers. If something is within ten grand, um, then I'll get up and go out there and take a look at it. Um, otherwise, I, you know, there's no really not a lot of sense for me to go up there if we're twenty, thirty grand apart. It's not even we're not even close yet. Do you have a lot of competition on these HUD offers from other investors? Yes. Yep. Yep, we do. We have um, the MLS is pretty pretty competitive. Uh, my guess is it's pretty competitive in many other places as well, just because it's kind of a lazy man's game, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, anybody can point and click and kind of look up a property, and everything is so viral right now with websites and Trulia and Zillow and um, et cetera, et cetera. You can do it. You can dig up a lot of information on a house um, pretty quickly. Um, so there is some uh, stiff competition on the HUDs, um, as well as stuff that's listed on the MLS. And, you know, just when you think there's just not any more houses to buy, you know, you get four in a contract. And it just it just seems that there's always something to buy on the MLS. And it doesn't matter if it's a, uh, you know, an, an REO um, or a, you know, bank-owned house, a HUD home, because um, there's lots of vacants on the, on the MLS. There's lots of probates or estates. Um, tired landlords are, are selling houses at discounts. So there's... Quite a few buyers, quite a, quite a few sellers that are on the MLS that just aren't bank-owned properties. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about on that. Me, I mean, because um, you know, when we, we've had done HUDs um, in the past um, down here, I mean, a, a bank or HUD counters, you know, like, and, and let's say they counter at you know a house that's worth 185 and. They come back and they count, and your offer, let's say, was uh, ninety-five or ninety or whatever, and the, and the, and they counter at a hundred and saying they have to net a hundred and sixteen. Mm-hmm. So now you have to add six, you know, the six or three percent or whatever to that for them to uh, to get their net out of it. We find mm-hmm. that a lot of times those uh, HUD counters are coming in way high, and and the, and they they're just being bid up from from the other investors and. In the different well, markets. Yeah, and I agree with that. You know, the one thing that we have to keep in mind um, with HUDs is those are that that entity uh, HUD is geared towards owner occupants. Right. Um, so it's difficult for investors, especially now they just made a bunch of changes to uh, the HUD website where you know it's used HUD to be thirteen days. Now. Yeah, it used to be thirteen days, and then it would go to all bidding. Now it's a month, so owner occupants get at least a month, um, you know, to a crack at the house. And if it if it's not sold owner occupant, then it goes to all bidders. But a lot of those times, those houses are gone because the owner owner occupants are scooping them up. Yeah, so exactly. You know, so that means what's left out there is a bunch of junk um, for the most part, um, and that's okay. I, I don't mind that. Um, I mean, I bought some really crappy places, but. Uh, there always are a few, Alex, that kind of just trickle through sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, for whatever reason, they just fall through the cracks. And if you're if you're on top of your game and you can get those, you can do really well on them. Uh, but it is definitely, um, you know, definitely very competitive. How many offers are you making uh, a day, would you say? Not many. Um, you know, when I was first starting out, it was three offers a day. I was trying to make 60 offers a month, which seems really high. 
but if you break it down, you know, that's only 15 a week and three a day. I mean, you can make three hurt offers in five minutes if you really wanted to. Um, so right now, uh, I'm very picky. Uh, I don't make a ton of offers. I would say maybe five a week, maybe. Um, but these are houses that are very specific for me. I know the area. Um, I'm looking for three, really three things. Number one is price reductions. Uh, number two, how long has it been on the market, which is DOM, as, as some people call it by the acronym. And yeah. then um, the other thing is BOM, which is back on market. Uh, I'm looking for those three things. The property has to have at least one of those three things going for it um, in order for me to, to make an offer on it. Uh, unless it just comes out on the MLS and it's a smoking price, which, you know, we've paid list price for, too, because it was such a really good price off the gate. Um, so my offers are, are really slow right now. A um, couple of reasons for that. Number one, because I'm more picky. But number two, I know it's coming around the corner for us to up here in Wisconsin, and that's called winter. And I know <laughs> it's going to get, I know it's going to get ugly uh, in the winter for selling anything. Um so especially rehabs. So I'm getting leery about putting anything under contract right now, closing on it in a month, which is, you know, middle to late September, say four weeks to rehab. Now we're looking at Halloween, and then I put the, mar- put the house on the market in November, and then, you know. Christmas. <laughs> yeah, then it's Christmas, and then, um, then you know, the stockings are bare because I can't sell the rehab. Yeah, um, yeah. So... I've shifted a little bit. I mean, I'm shifting already, and I already told my students this, um, that we need to back off right now. Um, We need to start looking at wholesaling a lot more, especially my students, because I'm teaching them rehabbing, but they're also getting taught how to wholesale the byproduct of my program. But start wholesaling uh, to landlords. Landlords have a lot of cash, I think. Um, They're looking for properties right now. The rental market's exceptionally strong. Um, in my area, um, with all the foreclosures and with all, with the loss of jobs, um, and I'm sure it's not just relegated to my area as well. Yeah. Uh, How many so days on market? Really What's your target days on market usually? Um, for buying? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see at least 60. Okay. At least 60, preferably 90 days um, that, this, that a house has been sitting there. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. So, Nate, how many deals can you do if you don't make any offers? Uh, pretty much none, I don't think. But, <laughs> but that's not necessarily true because um, I could have wholesalers bringing me deals. Right. Um, I could have uh, joint ventures where another investor brings me a deal and we joint venture on it. Um, so there's, there's, there's ways to, to, to do deals without having to even make offers, if that makes sense. But talk a little bit about the importance of making offers. You know, talk to a new student out there, a guy just getting started. Um, yeah. You know, because probably I'm going to guess the first question you ask some of your students that you're coaching in Wisconsin, uh, when they start complaining about, you know, not making any money or whatever, what's one of the first yeah. questions you ask them? <laughs> Sounds like you're talking from experience, Joe. Well, I'm just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, listen, you know, it's all relative. I mean, if if I have a student that's 
coming to me and saying, listen, you know, your, your program is not working. Um, I'm not making any money. I'm going to say, okay, that's fair enough, but let's go through a few things. Number one, uh, how many offers did you make this week? None. Okay. Um, you do realize that if you do not make an offer, it's going to be very difficult for you to take down your first deal. <laughs> well, yes, but, and there's always an excuse, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a job, whether it's uh, bills, whether it's your on vacation. I mean, there's this on and on and on and on and on. And I, I'm not a really big fan of excuses. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the first thing is, is how many offers are you making? Well, I made one offer this week. Um, that's not going to fly. You need to make 10 offers this week and every week. Yeah. And it's very, it can be very, there's many ways. It's just not on the MLS. I mean, you can do mailers. You can do knock on doors. You can... Uh, go to the RIAs and say, listen, I'm looking for joint ventures. I'm looking for somebody to hold family a deal, et cetera, et cetera. It's all about activity. And listen, I know when I was making offers out the gate, I was scared to death. I mean, I, I didn't know, by God, if I got one under contract, what the hell am I supposed to do, Joe and Alex? <laughs> I mean, that's terrifying. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just overcoming your fear. So now all of a sudden I get this house under contract, and I'm like, oh my God, I am in so much crap. I don't even know what to do. And I hit panic mode. And But if you have a mentor, you call mm -hmm. your mentor and say, listen, I got this house under contract. Here are my numbers. Um, let's talk me through it. What are we going to do? How are we going to call the contractors? How are we going to set them up? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but making the offers is, is crucial, crucial in order to get a deal. If you're not making offers, for the most part, you're never going to do a deal. I mean, not unless you get something wholesale to you uh, or somebody wants to joint venture with you. It's imperative that you make offers. And it's scary as hell. Listen, it is scary. But once you get over that fear and you start making offers and then you start getting offers accepted, as you guys know, all it takes is one deal. And after one deal, for you, for me personally, it's very hard to keep my students back. Yeah. Um, they want to make 30 a week because 10 is not good enough. You yeah. know, and then they want to do six rehabs this year and not two. I mean, the floodgates just open up after they do that first offer acceptance and get rid of it. I mean, it's like a light bulb goes on, the confidence meter goes up, and then they're off and running. That's so awesome. So awesome. And, um, oh, yeah, I was going to say this, too. I, I think it's one of the coolest things you mentioned there about having a coach is that if you make an offer and it gets accepted, if you have somebody that you can run the numbers with, um, you can if, if, if it's not a good deal, if it was a bad offer, that's okay because you can get out during the inspection period. Mm -hmm. um, but so don't let the fear of making an uh, of getting your offer accepted hold you back. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because that's, that's when that's when the nerves start coming in. That's when the cold sweats come in. That's when. Yeah. You know, that's when you get really nervous and shaky. And, but, you know, that that's a great feeling. I mean, it, you're, you know, you're overcoming the fears and you're going to do your first deal and you're going to make money. And after that, trust me, and I know you guys can back me up on this 100%, after the first deal, it just gets better and better. Nate, are you a realtor? Nope. You're not a real estate agent. So you have, um, you have an agent obviously put offers in for you. Yes, I have um, a couple things. I have a realtor that um, sends me like a bucket listing every day um, via email, 
it sounds like a lot of work for them. It's not. It takes about five minutes for each for a realtor to set up what's called like a here they call it a bucket listing. Basically, you get a, a hyperlink sent to you every morning um, with any new listings, any price reductions, uh, anything like that, according to the parameters that I set forth. So if I just want all three bedrooms in Appleton, that's all I want to see come across my email every morning. And that person can set that up. It's all uh, repetitive for the computer, so the computer spits it out. The realtor doesn't do it. He just sets it up and then walks away, and I get that email every morning. Um, the other thing that I have is I actually have access to the MLS. Um, right. So I can get in the MLS and I can dig around just like a realtor does, except I'm not a realtor. Um, so those two things certainly, um, certainly help me out. And I'm not an agent. I don't have really a desire to be one. Um, <laughs> you know, there, those are pros and cons. Uh, in, in a couple, of, I think three of my students are actually agents. Um, they have their license, uh, and they're glad they got it. I'm, I fully support them. That's just something that's that you know that I'm not interested in doing. Are they in your local market? Yes. Wow. So how does that work when you train them how to make offers the same way you're making offers on properties? <laughs> Well, Nate, uh, like, Nate I mean, Alex has a phobia of competition. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk- know what, Alex? It's a, it's a fair question. Um, <laughs> because, you really know, is. Y'all are doing the same thing. You've just diluted your chances of success. Well, there's, there's some things that, that I'll attest to that. Um, number one, my mentor always said, the more that you give, the more you'll get. And while that's yeah. hard for me, you know, while that's hard for me to to really digest and fathom, you know, it's true. Um, it, it just when I started that that mentorship program, I wasn't. I get that question all the time. Well, you're you're raising or you're teaching your competition. Raising competition, Not, yeah. Yeah, and I don't really look at it that way. Um, since this business is so small, what I mean by that is, especially if you're just a, like a one man show like I am. You know, there's no, you don't have employees, you don't have lease space, you don't have, um, you know, a, a person running your QuickBooks, you don't have the, seat, you know, the, the full support of anybody. So, number one, I looked at it, there's no eyes on the ground uh, for me, because I certainly can't cover every single house or every single um, property that's out there. So, I have no eyes on the ground looking at properties with me and for me, because I'm also going to make money on these students, obviously. Uh, and in turn, they're going to get a great education and do what I do. Uh, number two, that gives me more uh, chances to joint venture with them um, if they, when they, if and when they graduate from the program. Um, number three, um, I'm building great relationships with other investors. Um, so if they want to joint venture with me, if they want to wholesale something first, they're going to call me, and I can take it, or my, one of my students can take it. Um, there are just more pluses for me to do it. Um, do I have competition that I've taught? Is that hurting my business? No, it's not. It's actually helping my business. I'm still doing the same amount of deals. I'm still making the money. Um, it hasn't really slowed down because I've taught so many people how to do it. How does that sound? Huh. And you're partnering with your students on deals. Yeah, absolutely. So it's yeah, like your yeah. Go ahead. My mentorship is set up as a joint venture. Um, so they pay me X amount up front. I charge them X amount every month. 
and then we do three deals together, whether that takes a month to do three deals or it takes 15 years, um, they're, they're, they're responsible to do three rehabs with me. And then after those three rehabs, um, they can stay in the group and pay the monthly fee or they can move on. Um, the good thing about what I do is upfront money they give me, um, I give back to them over the course of those three deals. Um, so it's not like they pay me, they pay me eight grand up front, but I'm not just going to keep that eight grand. Um, every deal that they close with me during, during those first three deals, I'm going to give them a third of that eight grand back to them. Plus we split the profits 50, 50 on each rehab profit. Nice. So for example, if we make 20 grand, I get 10, he or she gets 10, but then I'm going to turn around and give them a third of that eight grand back, which is let's say 2,600 or something like that. So I'll walk away with 7,300 and they walk away with, you know, 12,700, whatever it is. So they get their money back. Um, but they have to have skin in the game and that's why I charge that money up front because if they walk, um, or if they don't perform, then at least they've lost money and I haven't, I'm compensated for my time that I put in them and the resources that I've used with them. Good. Um, so it, it works both ways, um, in that regard. Um, but the competition, um, you know, the other thing I can tell you, Alex, is if I'm not going to teach them, somebody else is going to. Yeah, you're and, right. And if it's not me, it's going to be Russ Whitney, it's going to be Donald Trump, it's going to be Armando, it's going to be Rich Dad. <laughs> I mean, they're all, they're all flying through Appleton. I mean, I cannot tell you how many people uh, have, have spent 10, 20 grand a pop um, with these people and they have nothing to show for it. Yeah. Um, and so those people can't afford my program, even my, even though my program is set up really well compared to them because they've already dumped all their money into these guys. So if, if somebody else is going to teach them, uh, I just, I'd rather have it be me. Uh, I'm local and I can't run. I can't hide. Uh, I'm pretty well known, um, in this area. And so it's hard for me to run, take their money, um, be not a very smart or, or a uh, good businessman since this is what I do full time. So that's the other thing too you gotta consider is if if you're not gonna do it, Alex, there's probably somebody else that's gonna do it anyway. Yeah, you're right about that. And you have access to the buyers and the local banks, um, the title companies. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I just think I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, we I mean we they all the resources that we work so hard to get, they get full access to immediately. I mean it's it's not like they gotta knock heads and you know, go through the, all the trials and errors that we went through. I mean, they get, you know, we have a separate website on Google Groups, and I might be pushing it to Dropbox, but where they got a list of every contractor that I use, no matter if it's hanging lights or for paint or trim or uh, insurance guy or CPA or drywall guy, wherever, they can just go to that website, and it's just private, it's just for me and my students, and they can go in. If they call me and say, hey, What's the name of that painter? I'm going to say, did you go to Google Groups? No. Well, go to Google Groups. I mean, that's what it's for. Yeah. So I have a I have a site for them so they can go and get all the contractors' information. And then on top of that, there's a site within that within that site, if you will, where it has all the documents that I've used, whether that's 
the standard offer to purchase, or whether that's a joint venture agreement, whether that's uh, an amendment, whether that's a counteroffer, whether that's a physical direct mail letter, whether that's blah, 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 blah. They have all those documents at their disposal as well. So we set it up for success. But it's what you guys know this too. I mean, it takes that it takes the, the within from somebody to become successful. If they don't have that wherewithal or that within to succeed, um, it's going to be very difficult. Well said. Hey, I wanted to ask you, Nate. Can you talk a little bit about um, marketing f- when you're selling the property? Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the things you do once you get the property under contract to sell it to an owner occupant, and how do you sell well, it? Well, I'll just give you a real a real life example, and that is yesterday. Um, I think on this past Friday, Thursday, I bought a house at auction um, on Williams and Williams, and I got the offer accepted. But then they have to the seller has to accept it per se. Um, got the seller acceptance; they agreed to the, my offer. Blah blah blah. So immediately, I go in the property. I take pictures. I also take a YouTube video of it. Um, I then use vFlyer and postlets.com, vFlyer.com. Both are free, um, yeah. and both are, you know, both show on Craigslist very well. Um, they look more professional um, than standard Craigslist ads. Yeah. Um, so I do both of that marketing. Um, so I use vFlyer, postlets in conjunction with Craigslist. I also then send out a uh, email with the link some realtors and some mortgage brokers that I have uh, that I've worked with in the past. Um, and then what I also do is most of the time these houses are listed on the MLS. Um, so I can't relist it on the MLS until I actually physically close on the property and it closes out on the MLS. Yeah. But that doesn't let, but the other thing that I can do though, guys, is I can go to my local for sale by owner uh, company, um, which they, there's a pretty big one in town that that's very traffic that's highly trafficked yeah um and then i put that property on that site and tell them not to install their sign until i tell them because i want my sign going next to the cold banker sign or whoever you know what i mean right so um i have them put it on the internet uh on their website uh, i have the pictures and i have all the marketing, uh, the do's, the don'ts, this is what it needs, this is what you're getting into if, you're, if you want to do some work and keep the equity great. If you don't want any work, this house is not for you, so don't call. No FHA buyers allowed, cash or conventional only, and then I start marketing it that way. And so you say you put on there no FHA yeah. allowed. Okay. And, and explain, yep. explain to the listeners why you say that. Well, because FHA, and this is – you might know somebody else that's different, but I'm just, for argument, I'd say most of the lenders that are doing FHA require you to be on title, meaning to have ownership of that property for 91 days. Right. Well, that's not going to work for me because I want to buy and sell it right away. So either they have to have cash from mommy, daddy, uncle, or their savings or checking account, or they have to go conventional, meaning they can walk into their bank and say, listen, I got 20, 25% down. Uh, to plunk down on a standard mortgage, or what's really a nice um, thing that they can do is they can go into the bank and say, hey, I really want this house. I don't care if I go into a three or a five or a seven-year arm. Uh, just get me in the deal. Get me in the house. The rates are ridiculously low anyway. They're at 3.5%, I think, for a, three, for a three-year arm. Um, 
in, the, in my area anyway. Um, and that's what's called in-house loan or portfolio loan where they don't buy and sell it. They just keep it in-house. Yeah. Um, and those require no seasoning. They can buy and sell on the same day. They don't care. Um, so those, that's what, that's my, that's my target audience. It's not the investors. There's no way in hell an investor would pay me this amount of money um, for what I'm trying to sell it for. That, there's no way. Um, so it's either going to be an owner occupant or within uh, probably two or three, probably two weeks before I close, I'm going to start lining up my contractors um, to start doing some of the work that I need to do. And then I'll turn around, buy it, turn around, sell it, you know, as a rehab since I, since I couldn't wholesale it. But I just started the wholesaling. I just started that marketing yesterday on this house. So, um, we'll see, you know, if there's interest or not. Now you network with local banks too, right? So you can actually give a, you can recommend banks that will do this type of financing yeah. to your buyer. Yeah, Talk a little bit about that. Well, it's no different than if you're, if it's say Joe or Alex, you guys are wholesaling a house to an investor and the investor doesn't have cash. It's really paramount that you either have a hard money lender for that individual or private money or a local bank that you can take them to to get the money so they can buy your property and they can cash you out and you make a nice check. Kind of the same thing for me and owner occupants is I know what banks or credit unions will lend on a type of deal like this. So if they're working with a bank that I know that does not like to do this type of transaction, I'm just going to be very frank with them and say, listen, uh, I like that bank. However, because this is the type of transaction it is, they're not, they're not going to let it fly. So this is what I highly suggest you do. Here's two or three banks. Call each one of them. Tell them Nate Andrew directed him, you know, directed you to them. Um, they'll know my type of deal. They'll know my type of situation. Um, and so everything is already out on the table. And we haven't even talked about an offer yet. We haven't even crossed that bridge. We're just trying to lay the groundwork to where if they want to make an offer, we already know it's going to go through. And I think that's crucial. Excellent. What percent of these homes would you say actually go through financing and which ones are cash transactions? I'd say most are financed. Okay. Um, we had one two months ago where uh, this kid wanted a house. He didn't have a lick uh, financing behind him, but his employer um, was a, an employer's friend or something. Um, said, I, I got cash. I'll just pay cash for it. And he was buying buying it for cash, and then he was going to land contractor owner finance it to this kid. I said, I don't care what you do with it. Turn the house down, uh, make it into a gymnasium. I, I just want you to buy it um, and, and cash me out so I can make my money. And so that was a cash transaction. Um, so most, but most of them, Joe and Alex, they, they're financed. And if I don't have my ducks in a row as far as who's financing and who's not, uh, it's going to make you know it's going to make it difficult. So that's why it's upon me. Um, keep track of the lenders and see what they're doing, see what they're not doing. That's my responsibility as a wholesaler. So when you're looking for these banks, what are some of the questions you, you ask them? I assume that uh, you just, you, you do, you go knock on doors, right? You go to local banks and ask them certain questions. What are some questions you ask these banks? Well, yeah, the first thing is, is do you mind um, working with investors? No, we hate them. Okay, good night. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's not... No. <laughs> We're, we can already stop the conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, we like working with investors. Great. Listen, this is my model. I like to buy houses cheap, and I like to sell them cheap to investors or to owner-occupants. Uh, I don't like to own them long. I want to get in and get out, but your borrower is getting a great deal. 
can you see yourself lending on that type of transaction? Yeah, I don't see why we couldn't. Okay, great. Here's the thing that always stops my transaction, so it gets in the way, and that is, is that how long do you guys require me to be uh, the owner of record on the property? Yeah. Uh, we don't really care as long as you take deed in title, and you know, you take title and deed and the mortgage, and it's your property, and it's clear, you know, taxes and liens and all that stuff. I said, well, yes, every property I buy is obviously uh, recorded in my name, my business name, and um, I'm on the deed, and, you know, I have clean title. And they're like, that's fine. We don't have any problems, you know, doing that as long as it's an arm's-length transaction. So once that that foundation is laid, the true test, though, is actually putting them to the test, and that is bringing them a deal and saying, okay, listen, this is what you said you could do. Here's exactly the type of scenario that I have right now. Will you lend? And you're going to get some people that are going to be, ah, well, ooh, mm, things change, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh-huh. and, and that's okay. Um, then you just need to hunt for a different resource. When I was first starting out doing this, I didn't know a bank from a credit union or, I mean, I just didn't know a lick. So a lot of it was trial and error. Yeah. Um, and then, but through a couple of deals and then starting to talk to different investors and different buyers, um, you start to get, you know, a handful of banks that are willing to do it. Now, keep in mind, guys, you only need one or two banks. You don't need 10. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of, well, I, I need at least five or seven, you know, good banks. And a, a lot of people say, well, if I'm wholesaling to investors, I need, and I need at least 20 investors. You know, you could have an investor list of a thousand and probably three are active. Um, you know, so it only takes a few banks or a few investors to really put some good money in your pocket. I think that's uh, people really shy away from that and say, you know, I can't even get started because I don't even have banks in my pocket or investors in my pocket. But, you know, I think we can, I think we overlook that sometimes that if you have a really good deal, um, things will soon follow after that. And these banks know you're flipping them the same day. You're not hiding anything from them, right? No. No, that's, that's, that's 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 laid out right away, Joe. Good. Right away. Um, especially if I have a lender that I haven't worked with and a buyer uh, wants to buy my house, I won't even sign the offer um, until I talk to that lender. Okay. Uh, that's And I've done that right at the kitchen of the house. I say, you know what, I, I'll sell you this house right now for my asking price, but I need your lender's contact, and they give it to me, and I call them right there on the spot. I say, listen, hey, I got... Joe here, he really loves my house. He wants to make an offer, but this is the type of transaction. It's a foreclosure. I haven't bought it yet. I'm buying it on the 28th. I'll take title. I'll have title. I'll be on the deed. I'll have clear clear title. Um, but I want to buy and sell it on the same day. Are you okay with that type of transaction? And you just go from there. Excellent. And you don't, you're not afraid to ask them that? <laughs> no, not at all because, no. um, you know, you, ha- you have to because it's your payday. Right. Um, you know, and I can't afford to lose paydays because I didn't do my due diligence on the front end. Because um, I know inevitably if I don't say anything, guys, it's going to come up. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're going to ask you what is the deal because I'm doing title work and you're not even the owner. Right. You know, I mean, it's going to come up. So why not just get everything out in front and just say this is the way this deal is working, this is the how it's going to go. Are you on board? Yes or no. If you're not, that's okay. I can appreciate that. I can just look for a different lender. If you're on board, then this is kind of how it works. And um, I've taught bankers how 
wholesale and owner architects works because they they'd never heard of the concept. Um, Excellent. So sometimes it's a little bit of teaching, um, but the key is these are local folks. You know, I mean, we're not talking Chase and U.S. Bank and Wells and City and you know these are these are local people that are in a local community, um, and I think that has a huge you know huge sway in things. The key is you're staying in control. And uh, you probably recommend the title companies to use too, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the key is, is that most of the title companies, the, the biggest title company in town is what most banks use mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but I've used other title companies, and, you know, some banks say, listen, we don't work with that title company, we only do this. Okay, let me talk to the title company and make sure they're okay with this kind of transaction. So then I have to call a title company and ask them if they're okay with it. Um, so... There's a little bit of homework involved, but, I mean, you guys know this, Alex. You know this, Joe. You do, too. When you're wholesaling, you have to stay in control. If you let yep. if you let the inmate run the asylum, man, it can get ugly quick. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. I actually did a um, – I bought a deal um, from a private seller, put it back on the MLS, and actually wholesaled it to somebody who got a USDA loan, and there's no seasoning with that. So, you know, that, that worked perfectly, but – yeah, but, exactly. And there's there's loans out there that don't require USDA. I believe VA is another one. Um, yeah, VA I, VA is huge down here in Virginia. This is you know Navy town, military oh, yeah. town. Yeah, that's you're you're sitting in a, a bread and butter type of market, Alex. Where you know you have so many people coming and going that if people are going to use financing, more than likely it's going to be the VA. Um, Absolutely. And you can, you can flip those houses all day long to those buyers because there's no re- there's no seasoning requirements. There's a little bit more legwork. Uh, sometimes they're a little bit stricter with the appraisals and how the condition of the property is. But nonetheless, you can buy and f- you can fix and fix and flip or buy and sell on the same day with certain type of uh, certain type of loan programs out there. But you have to use. Um, you, you guys are talking about uh, working with local banks that don't require seasoning for your buyers, correct? Yeah, that's yeah. my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and typically it's either like a five-year arm um, or three-year arm, seven-year arm, or if they just really want to plunk down that money and they've, this is what they've been wanting to do, they'll just plunk down the 20 or 25% and go conventional and, and you know, they go down that path. Gotcha, gotcha. Nate, talk real quickly about um, do you ever do any kind of light rehab uh while you're trying to wholesale a property, do you ever go in and clean it up, maybe get rid of the stink? Um, I have before. Um, maybe have the carpet cleaned. Um, I won't do any physical work on it since it's really not my property. Okay. Um, you know, I won't rip cabinets out and demo and anything like that, but I'll have the carpets cleaned maybe if I want, if I feel it's warranted. Um, maybe clean the yard. You know, I just maintenance type things like that um but i physically won't have my guys go in there and start tearing down walls and stuff uh i know of investors in this area that do um they do that crap before they even buy the place mm-hmm. and i know some of them i know some of them have really got their rear ends taken to the cleaners oh, yeah. um and you know don't get me wrong there's investors that want to see other investors fry um, and there's investors that are looking um, at these properties all the time, and if they see somebody that they know that property just came out and it's under contract, and they go buy that house and they see Nate out there with his guy and there's a dumpster, they're not going to be happy. 
and they're going to try and they're going to try and do everything they can. Uh, I'm not saying all of them, but there you know there's always a few in your market that are just hell bent on making everyone else's life miserable. Um, and there's so that does happen. Uh, I just don't go down that path. It's not worth it. Um, it's not worth to do demo and all that stuff. But maybe I'll have the carpets cleaned. Uh, maybe I'll clean the yard up. Just simple stuff like that. I won't, I won't even paint. I mean, I'm not going to do any work to the house. But what a great concept. You know, you get a property, whether you're finding it with direct mail or making offers on the MLS, um, uh, just try to wholesale it to owner occupants. I just did one yeah. uh, a couple weeks ago. We, How'd it go? We got one under contract for 10 and uh, yep. we, we decided we could probably sell it to an investor for 16 um, okay. So we put a sign in the yard, a couple signs in the neighborhood, and sold it to a guy who wanted to live in it and who had the cash from a trust. And uh, so we called, there was an attorney, you know, who handled the trust. So we mm -hmm. called him and explained to him what he were, we were doing. The guy uh, saw the home, went to the home. We met the homeowner while we were there with him. We wanted to stay in control of that whole process. And uh, we got this through, no, it was, it was Google advertising, some Google marketing, how we got this lead. But, yeah, we made um, about $5,800 net on that deal. That's great. Now, we pro maybe we could have made more if we would have, uh, we could have probably advertised it for a little bit more if we were going to be, if we knew we were going to be targeting owner-occupants. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it was a good little deal. And uh, I was surprised at um, how, how well, I'm always surprised by this. And I shouldn't be, but how well bandit signs work um, in mm -hmm. neighborhoods when you're selling home. I just talked to a student the other day who, on his houses, uh, he puts five signs in the yard of that house on every house he gets under contract, as long as there's not a realtor sign there. But he'll mm -hmm. put five signs in the yard, and he says, without a doubt, um, he gets way more calls um, with, with doing that because it's it makes people stop and look to see uh, what's going on with this. But what kind of signs? Same signs or five different ones? All five are the same. And I think they're just yellow handwritten for sale signs. Okay. Um, but the key is to have some type of color in the yard and it says, oh, my God, what is going on here? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And, I get it. You know, you I could like probably it. do those flags that used car dealerships do yep. on strings. You know, you could probably put them from the roof down into the yard. But whatever you can do to get attention on that and you will get pro he says he gets consistently and he's tested it two to three times the calls just by putting five signs in the yard but That's um, awesome. you know my partner my partner and I in the Richmond market we got a deal from uh, direct mail um, and we actually ended up wholesaling it to somebody um, from using bandit signs um, in the neighborhood uh, somebody said you know their son wanted to buy the house and he w ended up getting a, a loan on it. I can't remember. I think it was conventional loan. Um, uh -huh. We made like $40,000 on that deal. We were, we were going to sell it to an investor and we only would have made half that, but we made sure. 40 because we, um, we sold it to somebody who was going to actually live there. Yeah. They're always, they, you know, they look at it different ways. I mean, they, is it an investment? Sure. But, they're looking to live there. They're looking to put time there. They're looking to put some equity into it. Um, it's just a different mindset. The investor is all about the money or cash flow. Um, and with, with an owner-occupant, it's just a little bit different. They, they view it as a good price. Um, as you guys know, owner-occupants are way smarter uh, nowadays, the people that are shopping right now. 
they know the foreclosure market better than some other investors that I know. Um, they just they are very well in tune with the rates, the mortgages, the properties, the values. Um, they're they're very in tune. Um, and but they also realize that if they see a deal, um, they're not afraid to jump on it and in part do some work, but yet get a true equity deal, not some mythological you know just number made up of a pie in the sky this is what it's really worth because they know what it's worth um so it's a little bit different mindset um and uh, i i enjoy working with that mindset versus investors again i'm not harping i don't think the investors are bad bad guys at all um we've wholesaled a ton to investors um i just get more money out of owner occupants excellent hey nate final question here if yeah. you were dropped in the middle of nowhere, um, I mean nowhere by like a city that you don't know anybody. Let's say you were dropped in the middle of uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and mm-hmm. you didn't know anybody, didn't have any friends, didn't know any realtors, didn't have access to the MLS, and uh, you needed to make some money in real estate. What would you do? What are some of the things you would do to start um, you know, making money in real estate? Um, well, if I didn't handle things that you just told me, that's exactly what I would get. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, if you just dropped me in Phoenix and said, Hey, you got 30 days to go make money. But, I mean, the first thing that I would try and get is MLS access. I mean, you can learn the market very quickly if you have access to that city's, uh, MLS. Uh-huh. I mean, nothing, nothing beats the MLS for comps. Um, what's, what's being sold, what's active price reductions, I mean, all that stuff you can learn really quickly if you have MLS access. I mean, I know, you know Bob Norton? Oh, yeah. Um, um, Alex, do you, have you heard of Bob Norton? Yes. Um, he's, he's done this where he's gone in different markets, and the first thing he's always said was you've got to have access to the MLS. It's the quickest uh, and easiest way to learn a market. Um, I also get in touch with a, a, a realtor. Um, to get active in the market, I'd also get in touch with the RIA, find the local RIA, and get involved with the RIA right away. Um, there's not many places where you can go, and what I mean by that is a RIA, where you're going to find investors, uh, you're going to find title companies, you're going to find insurance people, mortgage brokers, realtors, inspectors, appraisers, all meeting at the same place without you having to go and find every single person on your own. Um, why not just go to a real where they're all going to be there anyway and you can pick yeah. everyone else's plan. Um, so I would do those those three things immediately uh, upon hitting the ground. Well, Nate, how would you go about getting access to the MLS? What are some of the things you would try to do? Well, you know, one of the biggest fallacies out there is if you don't have a realtor that has MLS access, you can't get access, which is completely untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, many people have access to the MLS that are not realtors. Yeah. Um, it, they could be inspectors. They could be, well, we know appraisers have to have it. Um, mortgage brokers, title companies, um, other investors that have it. Like I have three students that are investing that are agents. Um, there's, there's, other, there's other avenues out there um, to get access instead of going to the realtor and say, hey, listen, um, I don't know you, but can I get your access for free? while you pay monthly, you yeah. know, due. Um, <laughs> you know, 
not a, not a very win-win for him or her. Um, you know, the other thing too is if it is a realtor that you are working with and that's the person that you want to ask, why not offer to pay them yep. um, or offer a half um, of the fees? Hey, it's thirty bucks a month. How about I pay fifteen and help you out? Mm-hmm. Uh, how about if you're if that's too scary for you? How about you add me on as an assistant? Um, and then you can add me on as an assistant, and I can get access to the MLS and round the up and up. Um, yep. is, is it? I've talked to realtors where realtors think you know that's just complete BS, and I, I'm circumventing it, and I'm getting access for free, and I say, correct, correct, correct. <laughs> correct. Then I also say, you're so naive that you have no idea who's running around with access to the MLS that are not agents. I mean, I mean, I'm just a realist. They're all over the place. Does it make it right? Probably not. Um, But that's the way that's, I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, you have to do what you have to do. If that's the worst it gets for me, um, then I can live with myself every night. Um, and I, I think it's imperative that you get access to the MLS. I, I mean, I really do. I think that's one of the, the things that you should really try and get out the gate, especially if you're going to get dropped into a city where you have no idea. Yeah. Um, I really think you can cover a lot of ground pretty quickly with having that at your fingertips. All right, so you get access to the MLS. You get a realtor. You start networking with RIAs. I'd imagine you start doing some market research to find out where um, the deals are, right? Yep, I would start printing pointing neighborhoods, the good ones, the bad ones, the war zones. The other thing too is as you're driving, you know, mm-hmm. look for rent, look at look for the signs in the yard and say for rent. Um, whether they like it or not, those people are investors. Um, you know, if you see a for rent sign, I call the number and say, listen, uh, I, I see that you have a rental property. Um, are you looking for more rentals? What area? What price range? What are you looking for? Because I can go find them starting tomorrow. Um, and maybe that same investor that's a landlord is a rehabber, um, and you might be able to take him or her to lunch, or him or her might say, listen, this is where I'm buying, this is the area, this is what I'm paying, go find me something under that. Um, those are really free marketing. I mean, when you see a for rent sign by an investor, um, you know, that's, that's free for you to look yeah. at the sign and call. Um, so that's a quick way to start building a buyer's list as well. Um, if you couple that with, you know, real realtor MLS access, trying to figure out the areas um, that, that are selling. Uh, you can find usually you can find depending on the, the MLS system, you can find out who you know over the last 90 days or so who has been buying houses with cash. Um, so you can go to those properties and uh, see you know what him or her are doing, what kind of property they bought. That's another good way to find contractors as well. Oh yeah. Uh, is going to the properties that are being rehabbed and say, listen, do you do a lot of rehabs? Do you work on a lot of rehabs for investors? Because I am one. I'm looking to set up a crew. Would you mind? Or are you interested in getting some work from me? Um, there's quite a few um, you know, ways to go about it without having to spend a ton of money um, just getting dropped into a city. Uh, you, can, you can start pretty quickly, I would imagine. It would be a good thing to do, wouldn't it, though? I mean, we're going to put your butt on a plane, Joe, and we're going to drop you in <laughs> Knoxville, Tennessee. And we're going to see, we're going to do a 30-minute or a 30-day trial and see how, how you do. Are you game? You know, I've my wife and I are actually, are actually talking about uh, going to Prague, the Czech Republic, for nice. one or two months. And mm-hmm. uh, I've thought about, I've been playing with the idea of, to prove that this actually works, 
picking a virtual market somewhere where I've never lived before and do some kind of challenge, public live challenge where uh, I'll do, I'll make five grand in 30 or 60 days uh, mm -hmm. while I'm living halfway around the world in a market that I've never been to before. Something like strange That's like that. Cool. And think, by the way, for what it's worth, Prague is beautiful. I've oh. been in Prague. It's fantastic. We love it. Love it. And uh, the so cool uh, there. we've we've lived there. We lived there for about six months when we first got married. You did. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We still have friends there, so um, I don't know. I've been thinking about that, and it, I know I could do it, but it makes me a little nervous anytime I make some kind of uh, uh, commitment like that. Um, yeah. So I yep, don't know. I hear you. Maybe I'll do it if you do it. <laughs> well, I mean, I like you. I don't know if I like you that much. Um, to spend all that quality time with you. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't want you to stay with us. I'm talking about, like, why don't you pick another market? I'll pick uh, one market. Alex, you pick a third market. And, and we'll, we'll just see who makes the you first. You mean a fourth market. <laughs> okay, all right, whatever. We'll see who makes the first uh, five or ten grand or something like that. And the markets have to be comparable. I mean, you can't say, I'm going to go to Austin, and then you're going to send, you know, I'm going to send Alice up to Green Bay. Um, <laughs> you know. Well, so that would be pretty cool, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you feel comfortable enough, though, Nate, that you could do this virtually, you know, in another market while you're living in? Well, yeah. You know, that's that's something I've been giving more thought to as well, is trying to do something virtually. Um, I, I just really enjoy the comfort level that I have in my community, in my area. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the the fact. The fear for me is not doing it virtually. I think the fear for me is just starting to uh, get away from my comfort level with the local community that I'm in. That's all. Well, there's something to be said, and and one of the things I admire about you so much, Nate, is that um, you're not in a huge community, and uh, you are making very good money. Uh, picking a niche and just being the best at it, um, and and being the go-to guy in your market for um, for doing this. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. One of the things too I've I've appreciated about your comments just recently, and we should talk about it. The uh, wholesaling houses full-time Facebook page that Alex started. A uh, mm -hmm. lot of really good activity going on there, guys. Check that out. It's uh, just go to Facebook and do a search for wholesaling houses full-time. And uh, there's been some discussion on there recently about um, some people saying, man, I want to do like 500 deals a month or something like that. <laughs> but, Nate. I would like to, too. <laughs> well, okay. But, Nate, talk about why, talk about some of the advantages of keeping it small and um, not pulling all your hair out. Well, I mean, you know, I think it's, it's all about, you know, that, that mindset of that individual. I mean, if they want to do 500, you know, I mean, let's, we're being facetious, but let's say they want to do 30 deals a month yeah, um, or 40 deals a month. Um, you know, you have to realize what it's going to take in order to do that kind of volume um, versus if you're trying to do one or two a month. Um, some people just, you know, some people, I'm, I mean, I'm married, have four kids, so I can only do so much. Yeah. And... I only want to do so much. Uh, but you might have other folks that are single and they're 22 and they just want to do 40 a, a month cause, and they don't care. 
And that's more, I mean, absolutely more power to them. Um, it just depends on the threshold of the individual. Um, I'm a big fan of um, quality versus quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some people really get a kick out of doing 20 a, a month. Um, and I get a kick out of maybe doing one a month. And it, it depends on each individual. I mean, I would love to do more, don't get me wrong, but the biggest thing for me is the time factor. Um, if I'm going to do more houses and it's going to start eating up more of my time with my family, then I'm not going to do it. Um, and other folks might be in a totally different um, stage where they it's just them and they can rock and roll and um, they can do it. And that uh, I'm absolutely fine with that. It's just for me personally, um, it's, while I would love to do more, um, and I would, it's so as long as it doesn't affect, you know, what I have going on with my personal life. Yeah. Well said. Well, Alex, do you have any final parting questions for Nate? I think that's extremely important, um, keeping your family, li- you know, life straight. Um, I'm married. I have uh, two kids, you know, and they require and uh, deserve respect, time, and um that's something that if you are doing 40 deals a month, uh, you've got to have a really, really, really good system in place in order to, um, <laughs> in order to uh, shield you from that because you might, might not be married too long <laughs> if that was the situation. <laughs> you know, so, so I, I mean, I always know when, you know, I'm getting busy, you know, my wife lets me know what's, what's happened. I'm like, yeah, you know, we, we got to pay the bills, got to make things happen. She's like, well, we way, way, way surpassed those bills. So I think you could spend some more time with us. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we're we're kind of our own worst enemy, really, because we love what we do. It's not considered a job; we just thoroughly enjoy it. And it's yeah, hard it's to... fun to create money. You know, it's fun to create money, as it were, out of thin air, rather than spend time mm-hmm. being told what we're worth. You know, we we create it rather than being told. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I definitely think there's something to that where somebody says you're only worth twelve dollars or twelve dollars an hour. Um, and you, you kind of just blow that out of the water when you're on your own doing real estate. Yeah. I mean, people have no, they, they like don't understand it. It's a whole separate mindset when you're outside of, uh, our circle. You know, a lot of people are like, what I, you know, okay. 30,000 on a deal. Wow. Let's see. I've got to work, um, right. <laughs> all year <laughs> to make right. that, <laughs> yeah. you exactly. know, and that's yeah. that's the way it works. Or, or you know, my biggest deal was a seventy-five thousand dollars deal, and people are like, "What seventy-five grand on one deal? <laughs> that that takes me two years to make that, or you know, whatever the yeah. case may be." So, yeah, I agree. Well, you got to really change uh, your mindset up. You do, yeah, you do. I hope uh, um, I hope today's call was was fun for you guys as much fun as it was for me i really enjoyed it well nate you've been very gracious very very gracious with your time and and uh sharing your knowledge and wisdom sure appreciate it um is there a website you can send people to i know you mentioned that cd you that recorded call you did with steve cook um do you have a website we can send people to or or don't we just put it in the show notes that they can get on the website yeah you know that's something um i know you're working on that right now yeah, we're working on it right now. Um, I think what, if it's okay with Alex, maybe Alex and I will chit-chat 
just yeah. a quick couple of minutes and then get something in order and then maybe um, Alex can post something on uh, the WC page and go from there. I think it's a great idea. Sounds good to me. So um, okay. we're I'm going to actually bump this interview up, Nate, because I like you so much. Uh, you are actually, we have two or three other uh, podcasts that we were going to put in front of yours. But I think this is so timely, and especially the kind of the conversation that's been going on with the uh, in the Facebook community at Wholesaling Houses full-time. Uh, I just think this is really, really key. So um, this will actually, I mean, unlike our other podcasts, you're going to hear us talking about current events that are really current. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that aren't six um, months old, right, Alex? Uh, what's What's that? Oh, never mind, never mind. <laughs> All right. Go, uh, Nate, you've been real generous again with your time, and we appreciate it. Uh, in the On the website, in the show notes, uh, down below at realestateinvestingmastery.com, you will, we have a blog post for each different episode, but we, you will see some links in there on uh, where to get more information on this, this two-hour call that uh, Nate did with Steve Cook. And, um, I, I think it was a great call. I remember listening to it. Um, and also I wanted to throw out too, just give uh, props to a, a coaching group that Nate and I are in called Life and Air. And um, Nate and I have been in the group since it started, since Steve Cook uh, started it a couple, three years ago. And I know it's changed my life. Um, and if anybody's interested in more information about that, you can go to www.lifeonair.com. It's like millionaire, but life, L-I-F-E. And um, you can also Google that or Google Steve Cook. Uh, he's, one, he's one of our coaches. So, Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Nate. Um, sure appreciate you it. You guys are welcome. Yeah, appreciate it, brother. Thank yeah, you, Alex. Alex, we'll be in touch, guys. All right. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.